Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle, and welcome back to SoCal for me and Hawk. A week in the bold north, but we are back in Cali. Philadelphia Eagles are your Super Bowl champions. Nick Foles and Doug Peterson turned the Patriots inside out. I had Albert Breer of the MMQB on. He broke the game down. Yahoo's Charles Robinson also joined in, and we talked about the Hood's decision to bench Malcolm Butler and how badly that backfired. We had every angle of that game covered, and we took calls live from Philly on Monday morning. And one pretty unfortunate call from my man, Kevin in South Jersey. Well, unfortunate for him. He got a little bit emotional, and then you clones, of course, killed him for it, just like you did Jeff in San Antonio. So, Alvin, lots to cover on this Monday. What do you say you do what you do? Because the Daily Jungle starts right now. The Philadelphia Eagles are your Super Bowl champions. 41-33. I said it. I saw it. And I'm still having trouble believing it. Fly, freaking Eagles fly on the road to victory. And let me just say this right off the top. I don't want to hear anything about luck. I don't want to hear anything about questionable calls. I don't want to hear anything about anything. No straight up or straight up no ands, ifs, or buts. That was a, quote, Philly special. They walked into the Super Bowl. They punched the Patriots in the mouth. They took a couple of haymakers themselves, and they never blinked. And it was a Philly special because that was the name of the play that changed that entire game. I mean, there's no denying. Brandon Graham came up huge with that fourth quarter strip sack. Or Nick Foles picking up a fourth down in the fourth quarter. That was massive. Or all the third downs that he picked up all along the way. All big. But Philadelphia won that game in the first half. You don't see a lot of teams win games in the first half. You do see a lot of teams lose games in the first half. But last night, Doug Peterson and Nick Foles won that game in the first half with Philly Special. The play they called on fourth and goal from the Pats won with 38 seconds left in the half. I mean, think about that. Just stop on that for a minute. 38 seconds left. 99% of the coaches in the world kick a field goal. They take the points. I mean, you do that, and then you're most likely headed into the locker room up 18 to 12. But if you do that, you aren't Doug Peterson because Peterson don't play. He don't play. He wasn't going to kick a field goal from the one in the first half of a Super Bowl where he was the underdog. That's not how that guy's wired. That's not how that guy does it. He was going to go for it, which is brass. But then, going for it is one thing. Going for it the way that he did was the brassest thing ever. Any other coach with the guts to even go for it on fourth down is handing it off to one of his big punishing backs and then letting the offensive line do all the work. Not Doug Peterson. He did this. Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it. And the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick Foles. And it's a touchdown by Nick Foles. Thanks to Eagles Radio for that. He called for Nick Foles to wander up to the line as a decoy, a direct snap to Corey Clement, a pitch to tight end Trey Burton, and then a pass to Nick Foles. I mean, find me a gutsier call in the Super Bowl. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. In fact, I'll be waiting a long time because there has never been a gutsier call in the Super Bowl. And you think that didn't fire up his team? You know it did. Jason Kelsey said, quote, he told us before the game he was going to stay aggressive. And when that call came in, I can't tell you how excited everybody in the huddle was. I thought that Trey Burton said it best, though. 
Burton said it best when he said, quote, our coach has got some guts, huh? Got some big ones, end quote. Absolutely huge ones. Brassest call in Super Bowl history. And it's not like it was desperate either. That was pure confidence, and it paid off. It tells you everything you need to know about that coach, about his quarterback, about his confidence in his entire team. You don't do that if you're coaching scared. You take the points. You kick the field goal. You take the points, and you go into the locker room just happy to be in the Super Bowl and happy to have a lead against the champs. But Doug Peterson wasn't going there to be happy just to be there or happy just to have a lead. Like I was going to win. He was going to finish. And that's the kind of play you have to make if you're going to beat the Patriots. That's the kind of play you have to make to take down a pair of goats. They got out in front. They kept the pedal down. They didn't play it safe. They didn't play like they were leading. They just kept attacking. Can't say how much I respect it. We talked about it all week long. You got to play 60 minutes. They didn't play like they were playing with a backup quarterback going up against the greatest quarterback and coach to ever do their jobs. Peterson coached his ass off in the playoffs. And every step of the way, it was something different. RPOs against the Falcons, deep balls against the Vikings, out scheming the hood in the Super Bowl. I tweeted it in the first half. Peterson is turning the hood inside out. And he did. And he did it with the Philly special. That's the kind of play that wins you a Super Bowl and makes you a legend. Take nothing away from them and don't make any excuses. They beat them straight up. Punched him in the face, ate a few haymakers, got it done. Albert Breer is my guest. Albert, what a macho act, manning up the day after the game. What's up? Good morning. How are you? I'm a little tired, but I'm okay, Jim. How are you? I figured that was the answer. I'm great. Same, same. Good <laughs> yeah. to have you. Thanks so much. Listen, if I told you, Albert, before the game that Tom Brady would throw for more than 500 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, and that the Patriots would not punt, what kind of an outcome would you have expected from that game? I would think the Patriots would win. You know, I, I don't think there are many people that would tell you otherwise. I I really saw this as sort of the problems that the Patriots had defensively the first month of the season in games against Kansas City and Houston and Carolina coming back. And they had a clear talent deficiency in the front seven. And um, I just tell you this, for their defense to be any good um, this year, their secondary had to be excellent. And the secondary got really, really good at the end of the year. Um, that's where their investment was. The guys they paid, Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, Jerron Harmon, Patrick Chung, the investment was in the secondary. And um, last night, you know, they needed the secondary to be excellent one more time. And with no Malcolm Butler, the secondary wasn't excellent. And, you know, those talent deficiencies that we saw on the defensive front um, over the course of the first few weeks of the season certainly resurfaced. Albert Breer joining us. Now, as you pointed out this morning, Malcolm Butler only played one snap yesterday. That was on special teams. It was only his second special team snap the entire season. What do you make of what happened there and then the explanations about that from the coaching staff after the game? Certainly something's um, happened. You know, I, I, I don't know what yet, but this guy's played almost 1,200 defensive snaps. Um, over the first 18 games this year and then plays zero in the Super Bowl. Um, and in particular, plays zero, even though the, 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 the Patriots were effectively getting lit up by Nick Foles and the Eagles. 
Um, I, what I can tell you is that things have gone sideways in that relationship between the team and the player over the course of the last year. Uh, he was a restricted free agent last offseason, and you know that, that allowed him to go out and, 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 and seek an offer sheet from other teams. So he knew exactly what the New Orleans Saints were willing to pay him um, and was reliant on the Patriots working out a deal with the Saints. And when the Saints couldn't work out a trade, it cost them a lot of money. And I think that that was sort of the event in the spring that poisoned the relationship between Butler and the Patriots. And we've seen a lot of ups and downs over the course of the 2017 season. Uh, there were some rough, rough patches during training camp. Um, there was a point um, in September um, in New Orleans when uh, he was benched and he, and, and he came off the bench um, after having been a full-time starter and a pro bowler for two years. And so certainly there's a lot of water under that bridge over the course of the last year. And it felt to me like a lot of that coming to a head. Now I have to think that there was some sort of event that happened over the course of the last two weeks. He showed up here a couple of days late because of an illness. At least that's what they said it was. Um, and I don't know what the exact event was that triggered this, but there was certainly a lot of bad history over the course of the last year between the team and the player. Um, and I think a lot of it stems back to Malcolm feeling like that the team kept him away from a really big payday in New Orleans, and now it looks like they've cost him even more money. Albert Breer joining us today after the game. In fact, our first guest right after the game. Albert, let me ask you about Rob Gronkowski. He did not commit to playing next season. He certainly has taken more than his share of physical punishment over the course of a career. A number of guys have walked away from the game earlier than otherwise expected. Do you think that maybe Gronk could be like Calvin Johnson or Patrick Willis and then retire young? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think 10 or 15 years ago, someone like Rob Gronkowski in the prime of his career, um, best player at his position. The idea of someone like that walking away would have been a real stunner. Things have changed, Jim. <laughs> Things right. have changed. And we saw Willis do it. We saw Calvin Johnson do it. Um, and I, I, I think this is something that's, that's real um, right now. And, you know, Rob's really taking care of his money. Um, you know, it's been – the story's been told. You know, he's been living off of his endorsement money over the course of the last few years and putting away all of his football money. So he's in good shape financially. He's taking a lot of hits. He had another concussion this year. He's got back problems. The back, those, back, those sorts of back problems don't go away. Um, you know, I think that part of thinking about this is preserving a certain quality of life um, when he's 50, 60, 70 years old and doing, you know, kind of a risk-reward analysis on that. And, you know, having you know, some financial stability gives him the freedom to make that sort of decision. That said... Tough time to ask him. I think you know this. Tough time to ask him. Right after a long season, coming off of a tough loss in the Super Bowl, um, you know, his head probably isn't where it's going to be in three or four weeks. And so we're probably going to have to re revisit this in about a month. But um, certainly I, 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 I feel like it's something he's been thinking about for a while. And the fact that he would go on the record with it, you know, right after the Super Bowl was eye-opening um, for sure to all of us. I think so. Albert Breer joins me for another moment or two. Before I let you go, let me ask you about Philadelphia. You know, it's something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I guess, when you look at it, Albert. Nick Foles, how does he go from looking as rough as he did when he took over for Carson Wentz to being nearly perfect in the postseason and looking so comfortable on the biggest stage ever last night? He beat the rap. <laughs> That's yeah, right. The rap on him had always been um, that, that, that if you muddy the pocket around him, if you hit him a little bit, he crumbles. 
Um, and that's six years of history on him. That was the book on him. And that's why what we saw over the course of the last couple of weeks didn't look like a quarterback getting hot. It looked like a quarterback becoming a different player. Um, and, you know, I think certainly that was a question going into the Super Bowl, whether or not what we saw in the second half of the Atlanta game and then throughout the Minnesota game um, was sustainable and whether we see it again against New England. And we certainly saw it again. And so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of work that went into this. I've talked to his quarterback's coach, John Filippo about this and all the stuff that they do um, to teach movement in the pocket and teach guys to get themselves out of trouble and teach guys to take hits and all that sort of stuff. So, there's certainly some growth there. I don't know if I'd be all in on, on making him my quarterback of the future if I was some other team looking to trade for one right now. Um, but I think you got to give him a ton of credit. You know, there was a there was a book written on him out there, and um, you know, six years of evidence said there was a there was a, a there was one way to beat him. And over the last months, um, he's found a way to grow past that, which is a gigantic credit to him, and that's why he's a Super Bowl MVP. So one quick follow then. If you're Philadelphia, the guy's never going to have more value than he has right now. Yep. Do you then look to move him, and what do you think that value is in an open marketplace? What could they get for him right now? Yeah, my understanding is they'll listen, and I think whether or not they move him will really just depend on what the return would be. Um, you know, I, it's a valuable insurance policy right now. We saw it over the course of the last month, um, and Carson Wentz has still got a long way to go in, in recovering from his knee surgery, and so – um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to move him for a middle-round pick. I think the, the value of the insurance policy goes beyond that. Now, if somebody's willing to go beyond that and start to talk about, you know, a two or even a one, then maybe we're talking about something else. But one thing that's really interesting about, you know, the marketplace that he's going to enter into, it's the first time I can remember where supply might actually um, outdistance demand um, at, at that position. Kirk Cousins is going to be out there. Uh, Drew Brees could get out there. I think we'll, we all expect he'll stay in New Orleans, but he's got an ability to get the market because the Saints can't franchise him. You get the three Viking quarterbacks in Bradford, Keenum, and Bridgewater. All three of those guys are going to be free agents. A.J. McCarron's got an arbitration hearing this month. He could wind up being an unrestricted free agent. And then you've got Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold um, as options in the draft. And so um, there are a handful of teams that are in need of quarterbacks there are a lot of quarterbacks out there. And so, you know, I, I think that'll affect the value of each guy. And if you're a team looking to acquire a quarterback, do you really want to, you know, not only pay Nick Foles going forward, but move premium draft capital to go and get him when you can go get a Bradford or a Keenum or a Bridgewater or a Cousins um, without giving up any draft compensation? I think that's what's going to make it difficult for the Eagles to get great value for him in a trade. But obviously he did a great job. And right now, based on where Carson Wentz's knee uh, recovery is, he's got great, great value in the short term for the team. Because I'm still trying to figure out what was the most improbable part of the game last night overall. I mean, was it the backup quarterback, the QB2, Nick Foles shredding New England secondary? Was it the extraordinarily brass set? on second-year head coach Doug Peterson. Was it a third straight upset win in the playoffs for a team that should never be called underdogs ever again? Was it the fact that the Eagles won? Not one, but two catch-or-no-catch touchdown reviews in the replay booth. Or is it the fact that the sun came up over Philadelphia this morning and that city is still intact? Or maybe it's this. Tom Brady threw for a Super Bowl record 505 yards, 
Gronk went crazy. Nine receptions, 116 yards, two scores. The Patriots came all the way back after not one but two 10-point deficits to take a lead in the fourth quarter, and the Eagles were still standing. They took the champs' best shot. They never blinked, and they're the ones that leave with a Lombardi. And even when it looked like it was time for Brady to add another chapter to that legend, two minutes, 21 seconds left, TB12 breaks the huddle with his sword, ready to rip the heart out of the chest of another team and another city, the Eagles' defense would not allow it. Brady with White to his right. Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He and he it. fumbles the football, and the Eagles have it. It is recovered by... Yeah, it's unrecovered by Barnett. 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 Brady fumbles, and Barnett has the ball. They finally hit Brady. They finally hit Tom Brady. Eagles radio. That's right. They finally hit Brady. That was the first and only sack of the Super Bowl, and it came at a hell of a time. Brandon Graham with the strip. Rookie Derek Barnett with the scoop, and that felt like the dagger. That felt like the end. But, of course, it never is with these guys. Not against the defending champs. Not against the two goats. Rookie kicker, Jake Elliott, bangs through a 46-yarder. That makes the lead eight. The Pats get the ball back. Brady had 58 seconds, no timeouts, 91 yards. And the guy gave it a go, didn't he? He converts a fourth and 10. He moves the sticks. He fed Gronk the ball twice along the sideline. And with nine seconds left, he had one last shot to tie it up. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone. And it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Oh, it began. It began all right. I don't think it stopped. In fact, I know it hasn't stopped. If you want a blueprint for ripping a title out of Brady and Belichick's hands, Doug Peterson gave it to you. You coach fearlessly. You attack relentlessly like you did with Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Yeah, try that on for size. Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. And again, instead of coaching scared or coaching not to lose, This guy, Peterson, he goes all in, burning the boats, converting not one, but two legendary fourth downs. And I don't care that that's what he did all year long. He did it in the Super Bowl. Going for it with just over five minutes left on his own side of the 50. And right before half, pulling out that Philly special, putting the ball in the hands of a one-time college quarterback, Trey Burton, who threw the first pass of his four NFL seasons seasons in the biggest game of his career. Foles running up and down the line. It's a direct snap and it goes to Clement who gives it off to Burton the tight end who then throws in the end zone. Touchdown! Foles caught the ball on a touchdown pass of the yard by the tight end! That's Westwood 1. So finally, once again, that's how you beat the champ. To be the champ, you have to beat the champ. And to beat the champ, you come out and you make sure you throw the first punch. You throw the first punch, you make sure you can eat a few yourself, and then you don't stop throwing haymakers until that clock hits zero. Epic, epic win for Philly. And a Super Bowl that will go down is one of the best ever. Philly fan, they can't take it from you. They cannot take it from you ever. You got it. Let's go right to the phones. Segment number one. 
And it's only fitting that this guy would be the first one through. Not in Philly, not watching on CBS Sports Network in Philly, but a diehard Eagle fan right here in Cali. Let's go to Mark in Hollywood. Mark, good morning, brother. What's up? How are you? No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly. Ethan Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. Yo, Jim, yesterday was one of the greatest days of my life. Check my act, all right? I had it all set up. You know, we got the Eagles bar right here on Sunset Boulevard, Sycamore Tavern. I, uh, what I did was I didn't want to drink during the game because I didn't want to get blacked out because I actually wanted to see what was cracking. So I tanked up on box wine, Vela. You know what I mean? Right before the game, rolled into the game. The crowd was live. Like, it was, it was, everyone was nervous, but we were all confident. We all knew we were going to win. Now, I called this John last week, and I said we were going to win. And as soon as Tom Brady's soft avocado lotion hands dropped that pass, I knew it was us. I knew it was us. And it was, it was dope. And you know what? After the game, I went home. And, you know, what, what the, the, the consternation that I had was like, okay, we just won the Super Bowl. You know, I got to wrestle. I got to get my wrestling in, right? And I passed out. So later on tonight, I'm going to give my girl a My Philly special. If you see me working, no one likes us. No, Mark, I don't see you working. None of us see you working. Not a very good call. I tried to come home after the game and wrestle, but I passed out. So therefore, later on today, I'm going to give my girl my Philly special. Do you see me working? No, Mark, I don't. W- what do you mean by that, Mark? So I'm not surprised that somebody from Calgary might call this morning. Let's go to Bob in Calgary. Bob, good morning. How are you? Morning, Jim. I'm so sick of celebrities getting away with stuff. Did Sarah Jessica Parker even get charged for crapping on the street? That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Did it live up to the hype? Let's go to Philadelphia. Rick in Philly. My man, Rick. What's up, Rick? Hey, you got it, man. I'm a long-time Philly fan. You're my favorite sports show. We're all so f***ed up. I'm f***ed up, f***ed up. We're all messed up. No, you don't like that call. I don't like that call. I think some of Philadelphia has not gone to bed yet. We are joined by Charles Robinson. Charles, good morning. What's up? How are you? What's up, brother? How are you doing this morning? Great, man. Great. How about you? So for you, I I did get out. I'm grinding it out here in SoCal. I made it back home, but not you. You're still there. How are you feeling this morning? Well, here it's mid-70s in SoCal. It's only about... 80 degrees less than that. You're right. <laughs> no doubt. I just, I, I'm just trying to determine why it says it's, you know, it's negative four, but the feels like temperature is like negative 10. Why don't we just say it's negative 10? That's what it is. That's what the temperature is. Or just say it's negative 50, because believe me, that's what it feels like. I know it. I see it working. All right, so listen, you have a really good piece up right now on Tom Brady in the aftermath of last night's loss. You saw him when he met up with his wife and his kids. How would you describe his emotions and everything that took place in that one particular moment? I mean, it was it was really one of those vulnerable moments that you don't get to see often with Tom Brady. So polished, um, you know, he has uh, just that sort of 
um, uncrackable persona to him. But yeah, he stepped uh, behind a black curtain uh, last night after the loss, and you know you could see he was getting emotional, and uh, his wife Giselle was there with their children, and you know she reached out and and kind of said, "Hey, group hug," and everybody kind of grabbed him and. You know, he buried his face in her shoulder, and you could see, I mean, he clearly was trying to hold back the emotion, and, and at one point, you know, his kids were crying, he dropped down to a knee, and, you know, he's trying to explain to his kids about, you know, hey, you know, we did our best, um, you know, we tried our hardest, and he, he's basically trying to get his kids to stop crying and say, hey, I, I'm, I'll be there to pick you up and take you to school, and, and it what struck me is, I've I've covered Tom Brady winning and losing in the Super Bowl, and when I, I think about the Giants' losses, um, you know this was an element of his life when you compare it as well to his age. He's going to be 41 this off season, that just wasn't there before. So for that sort of snippet of moment, you see Tom Brady's life after football right there. You see the quandary in his mind that I have my family here. I'm heading toward 41. Clearly, the winter of my career is coming, and this is what's ahead for me. So I, I thought it was sort of a poignant moment where you're, you're knowing why maybe the end is coming for the New England Patriots because that centerpiece guy, you see his life laid out in front of him. Right Charles now. Robinson joining us, a senior NFL and investigative reporter for Yahoo. All of that said, then, would you argue that, and I'm sure that all of them feel terrible, would you argue then that that loss last night was his most painful loss? Yeah, I I would, and the reason why I would is because it it came in one of those moments where the ball was in his hands, and you know, and he's made really a large portion of being considered the greatest, the goat, on putting the ball in his hands in that final two and a half minutes, and this was that scenario in which he failed, and I think that's what um, you know typically hangs with him is when he knows that ball was in his hands. I think it's different for him. If he if he's not on the field, if he can't control it, but the the reality is he could control this. He was the guy who you know had the ball knocked out of his hand in that defining moment, and what really, even though they had one more drive after that, essentially ended the game. And um, I I think that's why you really saw him so emotional. I mean, he was stoic in front of the press, but you know to see him kind of crack like that when when he was off on his own was. Um, something that's that's definitely a little different. Charles Robinson, my guest. So where do you think that leaves him? I mean, he's always been extremely motivated and driven, you know, from aside from his family, everything in this guy's life is about football and right. doing whatever he can from a fitness, diet, mental standpoint to be better than he was the day before. So after a loss like that, where do you think that leaves him in this offseason? Can the guy be any more motivated and driven than he already is? What's his response to this? Well, he he says he'll return, you know, and he is a competitive guy, and I do think that um, losses and doubt do tend to fuel him because there's so little left to fuel him. Statistically, there's not much further he can go. Um, even from a Super Bowl standpoint, obviously getting one more ring would put him in, you know, uh, a zip code that only he would own with, with six Super Bowl rings. But um, I, I do think that, that loss and question motivate him. I think that he gets charged up when people – um, you know, bring up his age. And when he was pressed last night, he said, look, I, there's no reason, I can't see any reason for me to return. But he said, hey, it's 15 minutes after the game. I've got to process this. That said, he's got to look at the overall picture here and know that, A, he's been playing on an undervalued contract for a while now, really one that should allow them to have built this defense into more than what it was last night. So that's a concern. You lose coordinators. And remember, Rob Gronkowski, almost out of nowhere last night, says, 
yeah, you know, I have to mull my football future in the next couple of weeks. So there are other factors around him that I think could give him pause, but I just don't see Tom Brady going out this way. I think, you know, coming off of a Super Bowl loss, I think he's going to want to get back in the saddle for at least one more um, and that's definitely what he indicated. You know, I would agree with you, but where do you come out on Gronk? I mean, easy to say that Gronk is indestructible. Gronk is just 29. Right. Gronk's had nine surgeries. Yeah. Gronk has taken a real beating and a real yeah. pounding. How likely do you think it is that he may, in fact, walk away? I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you talk about the, the nine surgeries. You know, you got knee, uh, elbow. I mean, there's just been a multitude of, of issues. And I think really last night he was asked about the, the whole concussion factor, and I think that was something that – um, you know, was resonating last night in his mind. But I'll also say this. We, we come out of Super Bowls, and I've covered enough of these and seen guys sit at those podiums literally minutes um, after walking off a of field losing and how fresh that pain is. And often you get guys who, I mean, shoot, Earl Thomas, you know, was a guy that, you know, we thought could retire from the Seattle Seahawks um, not that long ago after an injury. I mean, when, when guys comment out of emotion like that, I always tend to think that after a few weeks pass, what we think the logical outcome is, that's how it usually plays out. I think Gronk comes back, but I can see why he would question, as you said, his own football mortality. Charles Robinson joining us. He's still in Minneapolis. You know, when you look at the game last night and the defense, obviously not a good night at all for the Patriots' defense, where do you come out on the fact that Malcolm Butler did not play a single defensive snap? Now that you've had some time to think about this, do you have an answer that makes any sense, or is this still a mystery, and is it always going to be a mystery? I, I can't make any sense of it, and, right. and I don't think anyone can. And I've pounded the phone this morning, texting everybody I know, calling guys you know close to Bill, guys within the team structure. And what's what's remarkable to me is players on the roster today, right now, still have no idea what happened. They don't understand. They didn't understand during the game. They didn't understand post game. And I think this morning they still don't entirely know what Bill Belichick's reasoning is. Now there's a litany of of you know rumors out there a lot of speculation i mean you you probably can't go into your local starbucks in boston right now without the barista telling you what they think happened with malcolm butler but i look uh, to me a guy who played the most defensive snaps the entire season including the playoff run up until this point to not get a single defensive snap on a super bowl sunday uh makes very little sense and as you said because it's bill belichick this might be one of those ones that we're watching a 30 for 30 20 years from now about what happened with Malcolm. Yeah, listen, I I don't know exactly what it was, but I don't think that it was what he told us. We knew what he would right. say, Charles, like, hey, we just put the guys out there that give us the best chance to win. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. Yeah, I don't I, – look, just this idea of um, playing to the best scenario. Why was Malcolm Butler – literally your most heavily used defensive right. player and, and someone who everyone only said good things really about him up until this very moment. Why did that all of a sudden change, I think, Saturday night? Because up until Saturday night and really even Sunday morning, Eric Rowe had no idea the role, role he was going to play in that game. Even he was stunned, and he came out and told the, the media last night, this was not the plan. So for him to not only undermine what the statistics say about this player, what his track record says about this player, but also what the people in the locker room think of Malcolm Butler speaks to something that we do not know. Yeah, Roe Ro didn't know, and he didn't play like he knew. 
in my estimation. Charles Robinson joining us. Before you go, what about this really quickly? You've got Brady's age. You've got Belichick's age. And then there's that report a few weeks back that maybe Brady, Belichick, and Kraft, Bob Kraft, are not on the same page. As we know, winning is the ultimate deodorant. So might losing make those cracks or fissures between the three even bigger? It makes the next few months probably the most pressurized in this organization, really, that, that I think have occurred in this dynasty. And, and I think Kraft, in a way, added to it because he came out and admitted last week that, hey, you know, there is tension, you know, in the organization. Now, there are different kinds of tension. It can be negative, negative tension. It can be dynamic tension. I think it's a little bit of both. And I think the fact that they're losing coordinators, um, you know, now it looks like Butler's not part of the future plan. You've got Gronk trying to decide his future. And then, as I said, Tom Brady just trying to recover from what happened. And I, and I think a roster that looks like it needs a healthy amount of addition this offseason. There is a lot left ahead. And I would argue, as I said, I think in, in this entire dynasty between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, there's not going to be a more important three- to four-month span than what's going to occur with the Patriots. Charles Robinson, still in Minneapolis. One last question before you go. What about Nick Foles? Where does that leave him? I mean, could he literally – he can't win an MVP as a starting quarterback in a Super Bowl and then go back to being a backup quarterback for the rest of his career, right? Somebody's going to give him a shot. Well, he had, he's had a career reset. There's no doubt. I mean, you talk to their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, and he's like, look, this guy, don't try to ever tell me he's not one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. He is a starting quarterback – Doug Peterson, though, came out this morning and he said, look, I told Carson once, hopefully we're back up on this stage with you leading us. It doesn't get more clear than that. He is not in the cards as a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles unless Wentz's injury for some reason causes him to miss you know, a significant portion of next season. I think Nick Foles, there are going to be phones ringing in Howie Roseman's office this offseason, and we know Howie Roseman likes to do deals. I would be shocked if Nick Foles was a quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles next season. Charles, I know you're always working on something. Is there a Robinson bomb, that bombshell, or bomb that's going to drop soon? <laughs> Not soon, but, you know, as you said, we're always working on something. Whether Philadelphia won or lost, Eagle fan was going to Eagle fan. And last night, Eagle fans, Eagle fanned like they never have before. It didn't matter that the city of Philadelphia went from Crisco-ing poles to spraying them with hydraulic fluid. They could have soaked them in lighter fluid. And dudes in Carson Wentz jerseys were going to climb them nonetheless. Or rip them out of the ground. Or climb up on the awning of the Ritz-Carlton and jump into the crowd. Or climb up onto the awning of the Ritz-Carlton and then collapse the awning of the Ritz-Carlton. It's gotten to the point where it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. And yes, there were parody accounts on Twitter claiming that Philly fans stole a tactical horse. And no, that did not really happen. As far as we know. Because it probably could have happened. And then there was that parody account. (laughs) My favorite of all. This is great. A parody account that some people actually believed. A parody account that tweeted, and I quote, Eagles fan eats horse crap to celebrate Super Bowl victory. Oh, wait. It wasn't a parody account. That was TMZ. The actual TMZ with a verified blue check. Not some imposter like TM2, which tries to pass itself off as the real TMZ. 
So if that tweet's coming from a real account, then I have to assume that the images associated with it are fake. Because if they aren't, that is a new low. The lowest of the low points. Not just for Eagle fans, but maybe for all of humanity. You want to climb a light pole when your team wins? You go climb a light pole. You want to pump up your fellow fans before the NFC Championship game by running into a column at a train station? You be my guest. Knock yourself out. Literally. You want to eat horse excrement to celebrate a Super Bowl win? Not okay. Not okay at all. It is not okay to eat horse crap. That's not me eating a hot pepper on the show. That's a dude eating horse crap off the sidewalk. I can't believe I actually have to take time out of my program to actually talk about this. I thought that I could go my entire career without having to devote a segment to explaining why it is not okay to eat horse crap. But I guess I do. I guess I do need to say this. Let me repeat this once again. It is not okay to eat horse crap. This is one of those things where you say, yeah, I'll listen to both sides. There aren't two sides. There is the side that doesn't eat horse crap. And then there's the side that's wrong. That's it. Pretty simple. And if your response to me saying that you shouldn't eat horse crap starts with, now hold up, Rome. Wait, wait. Or if it starts with, but, but, then you can stop right there. And if you hear what I'm saying and you want to say, hey, listen, listen, man, you don't understand, then you're right. I don't understand. I don't understand why you would decide the way to celebrate winning the first Super Bowl in team history would be getting down on all fours and slamming feces. Hey, man, call me a buzzkill. Call me old-fashioned. Call me a traditionalist. Call me a wuss. Call me whatever you want. But you're never going to call me somebody who eats horse crap. We've all had a few too many. Right? Me, for example. Friday night, I guess. We've all had a few too many. We've all done some regrettable things. We've all made poor choices. That happens. This does not happen. There's never been a point in any evening where the next logical move was to eat horse crap. And no. Now, that's not something that somebody taught me when I was growing up. That's not one of those things like your dad says, hey, man, nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens at 2 a.m., Don't ever eat horse crap. That never came up. You never had to. You just know it. Just like I never had to take my sons aside and say, hey, hey, listen, sons, let me tell you, let me talk to you about not eating horse crap. I'm not having that talk with my kids. I don't need to. Look, they're stepping on the line. They're stepping over the line. And then there's blowing so far past the line that you can't see it anymore. I don't care how happy or drunk or happy and drunk that you are. You don't eat horse feces. There won't be a time where I will ever condone that. I I don't care what's happened. Eating horse crap is never cool. You're probably like, yeah, Rome, uh, we got it. We got it. Yeah, well, I'm not done making this point. It's not funny. It's revolting. It's disgusting. Man, I could talk for an hour about why that's not okay. 
but I shouldn't need to spend more than 10 seconds on it because I don't need to build an argument or lay out the reasons for it. It's horse crap. Do not eat it. Lesson complete. Good talk, Eagle fan. Good talk. Yeah, I know it's not all of you. That's fine. I just want to make sure it never happens ever again. Dear Jim, absolutely shocking behavior. Who decided to build a Ritz-Carlton in Philadelphia? Signed Drew in West LA. Philly, love you, man. So happy for you all. Get it. Get it. Just don't eat horse excrement. You want to jump up on that awning, you go right ahead. You want to do a backflip off that awning, you go right ahead. You want to collapse that awning, not much I can do about that. Stay away from the excrement in South Jersey. It's great to have you, Kevin. How are you? Jim. Oh, unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, we've been waiting for this for so long. So long. I watched the games with my dad. Uh, We all get together across the street. We lived together in a small neighborhood, and it was incredible. We, We lost my godfather last year. And we all had his hats on, and he was there with us. Hmm. And we did it. We did it. Philly did it. Nick Foles did it. Unbelievable. It's 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 what America is about. You know, you you come back from 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 a, from being beat down, and you come back, and you work hard, and you keep working, and you get what you want. And that's what this country's about. That's what Philly's about. We just, we did it. It's incredible. My I'm man. so happy. I'm happy for my family. I'm happy for Philly. And the guys, they just absolutely played their hearts out. Their hearts out. It was, it was incredible. And I'll tell you what. We played the team that we needed to play. The best team in the world. And we beat them. You know, and I'll tell you something right. else, Kevin. You did it right. You beat them straight up. You beat them straight up. And Kevin, Kevin, congrats. Enjoy that, and I know you will. Your godfather was there. You know he was. Everybody was there. This is what I'm saying about Philly fan. You hear the emotion in his voice, the generational thing. He lost his godfather a year ago. My man was choking up. They did it. That's what America's about. And not only did they do it, but they beat the team they had to beat in order to do it. Philly, how sweet is that? You beat the champs. You beat Tommy. You beat the hoodie. You may have ended a dynasty. Nobody said you could do it. You did it with a QB2. You did it with a backup. And not only did you do it, it's how you did it. Man with balls. Gonad! He said it himself. That's what America's all about. Now, that's not to suggest that the Patriots are un-American. It is to suggest that's what America's all about. And we did it. Hell yes, you did it. What an amazing win. Again, I, I use the phrase, and I'll use it here because it does apply. I've got no dog in that fight. I don't care who wins. I just don't. I don't care who wins. You know me. I don't root I don't root for anything other than something to talk about. Team content. I'm not Patriot Nation. I'm not Eagle fan. 
team content. I literally did not care who won that game. I just wanted to have a good game. I just want something that could help me get by on the adrenaline of the late night flight to get in here and have something to talk about. And that's what I got. But let me tell you about team content. When Peterson made that call at the end of the first half and they went for it, not only went for it on fourth and one, but he made that play call, that to me was the ultimate, oh, hell yes. That guy did not do that. I mean, for the next hour or so, I'm like, I cannot believe that they went with that call on the goal line. Team content, man. That's what America's about. It's, it's, it's what America's about. Man, that's what life's about. Let me tell you that. Not America. That's what freaking life is about. Doug Peterson, this dude is so brass. So brass. A guy coaching high school football a decade ago turned the hoodie inside out. That was one of the greatest calls, play calls, by a coach or a manager of anybody in any sport, in any game that I've ever seen in my life. A holy bleep moment. Like, did that just happen? Did that dude just do that? And I'm, I'm not embellishing that, I don't think, at all. At least that's how it hit me in that very second. Like, damn. Man, that took some heart and grit. And not only that to call it, you got to execute it. Ask Tommy, right? You call that play, but then you execute that play and you finish that play. Because old Pliable T didn't look so pliable out in the open field in the flat trying to reach up and catch that ball. Nick Foles had no trouble seeing that ball in. Dear Jim, Doug Peterson may be the best Eagles coach ever. But has he ever competed as a 29-year-old child in a punt-passing-kick competition? Sincerely, Andy Reid. All right, first of all, that's not true. He was not 29. Second of all, he was not Andy Reid. He was Andy Ryad. You've seen this, right? It's one of the greatest pieces of video ever. When Andy Reid, and they spelled his name wrong, Andy Ryad, was in the punt-passing-kick competition. Remember they used to do that at halftime of Monday Night Football years and years and years ago? Ryad towered every kid by like a foot and a half. Let's see here. This is in response. Just not doing it. Just not doing it, don't you? Hey, Austin, don't you come in here. I know what you're coming with. Don't you come in here. I know what you're going to bring me. Don't you come in here. I just said I'm not doing it. <laughs> you might wonder what uh, folks are bringing me. All right. I'll play along. This tweet is from Drew in West L.A. And I quote, War me and my fiance. War me and my fiance. And war Jordan. At MTB Darren tweets, did Jeff in SA move to South Jersey? And we did it. At M Piazza's Backney tweets, crying on radio is and always will be extremely embarrassing. All right, in defense, I don't think he was crying. I think he may have gotten a little dusty. He may have choked up. In fact, let's go back to the tape. We we lost my godfather last year, and 
we all had his hats on, and he was there with us. Hmm. All right, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. Kevin. Kevin, me to you. I have you. Kevin, I have your back. Which doesn't the guy, Alvin. Alvin. Don't let Hawk drag you down to his level. I'm trying to address Kevin in the camera. Kevin, I have you. This guy just said we lost my godfather a year ago. We all had his hat on. We did it. This is an adult male crying in front of several million people. And you're going to mock that? God. And we did it. These guys live for their team. They love that team. It's generational. That's what I'm saying. Grandfathers, fathers, they pass this down generation to generation. This literally was the greatest night of a lot of their lives. Hey, let me ask you something. Why was it all right for a Red Sox fan to say, now I can die happy? Why was it all right for a Cubs fan to say, now I can die happy? But it's not all right for a Philly fan to say, my grandfather was with us? Come on, man. Stop being a jerk. They earned it. Stop clowning a guy who cried on the radio. Man, he's emotional. It meant something to him. Let's see. Charles Fleming probably understands. Let's see. If you're that emotional about a win, then you need to look in the mirror. Sincerely, that kook crying about his fiance. War, me and my fiance. And we did it. Let me tell you something. Any of you want to call my show and cry on the radio, you're welcome to do so. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Cry about whatever you want. No, I mean, sincerely. I mean, if you can't cry about a fiance, what can you cry about? Like, oh, man, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I went outside to get the mail, and my dog got run over. Man, that was so sad. Hey, if you're going to bring that around here, don't you be crying around here on, on Rome Show about that. Okay, this guy, let's see. At TFP, will he tweets, I'm going to name my kid Foles. Signed Kevin in South Jersey sobbing. Listen, if you continue to kill guys that share the most emotional moments of their lives on my show, I'm never going to get another phone call ever again because they know what will happen. There you have it. What a great first day back and what an amazing game. Four more shows coming your way this week. Check back tomorrow. See you then. I'm out. Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with Xfinity XFi. Plus, you'll get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway. That's a $72 value per year. No other provider offers this. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. 